0: Battleline Podcast. Chris Peranto is in the house, of course. My name is Ian Scotto. For the new listeners, every week on the show, we interview a pretty wide array of guests from all different fields, but mainly special operations military veterans. Those are you know at the forefront of who we interview. Guys like Greg Anderson, who is a Army Ranger veteran contractor. Yet yeah, in the first segment, we're gonna we're gonna actually remember a friend of the show, John Bartolo, who unfortunately passed away uh, the other week. We'll get into that. Um, but yeah, and, and for the old listeners, I do want to point out that Chris and I have discussed it uh, with social media right now. It's there's been like a massive uh reach for everyone, uh, or, or so, a
1: massive reduction in reach. It should be, should, yeah. yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I, meant to I, I, say. I wish a massive reach. That was like back in the good old days when when uh when they first started but yeah now it's it's ridiculous completely
0: ridiculous and the reason i point this out is because that is a way that we get new people to check out the podcast um and we're losing that but because of that we could really use your help if you guys leave us reviews on apple Podcasts. that's really the primary way that people find out about us i look at where people are listening and a good 90 percent of you guys listen on the podcast app on your iphone So, I mean, if you just go to the search feature, look up Battleline Podcast, write a review, give us five stars, that really helps us out. So, please do that. It would mean the world to us, and uh, it would expose us to new listeners. Um, With that, man, I am excited. We're less than two months away from the opening of the Fort Scott facility, the Fort Scott training facility, in conjunction with Battleline Tactical. And uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be there May 6th and the 7th. Uh, but the only way to get in is through this contest. Fort Scott Munitions manufactures patent match-grade ammunition from solid copper and brass spun SCS SBS rod that is designed to tumble upon impact, TUI, and it leaves devastating wound channels in soft tissue for faster bleed-out and swift incapacitation. In a climate with increasing demand for tactical readiness, Fort Scott Munitions is expanding to deliver unmatched results to the tactical training industry. FSM training offers live fire ranges, modular simulation ranges, 120 silos for rappelling and facilities for scenario-based training. So as I said, in partnership with Battleline Tactical, FSM's training's grand opening is launching May 6th and 7th via an exclusive Copper Ticket event. Here's how you get in on this. The Copper Ticket event is an inclusive two-day carbine and pistol course close to $4,000 worth of fsm TUI ammo, lodging, food, and travel, all included. Um, and the only way to do this is basically to buy ammo through their site, which is a win-win for you guys because it's getting harder to find ammo. And with that, you guys will get um, included in this contest to possibly be there with Chris, with myself, May 6th and 7th, and not just us, a really wide array of guys. Clint Morgan from Classic Firearms, Matthew Patterson from GOA, Jared Yannis from Guns and Gadgets, Hank Strange, of course, who's been on the show, Braden Langley, Langley Outdoors Academy, John Keyes and Shermichael Singleton from Guns Out TV, Jesse Fenley from Knuckle Down Dynamics, and TJ Thomas Kurgan and Alex Milberg from Tactical Shit. So get in on that. Link is right there in the description. And uh, yeah, you could also go to fortscottmunitions.com. And use the cro- the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off, as always, with all their merch, with all their gear. I'm excited for it. Hope to see you guys there. But as we said, you can't, you can't pay to get in. You can just buy ammo, and you will be in on that contest. Uh, and brand new sponsor for this show, Out of Regs. Out of Regs is a veteran-owned and operated business, hand-making water-based pomades right here in the USA. Former military. They know the challenges and intense lifestyles of those who are on the front lines. They've created a product that can keep up with them, and their pomades are strong and resilient, yet nourishing and healthy, easy to apply, and easy to wash out. Staying in regulation has been instilled in the minds of military personnel everywhere, groomed, dressed, and abiding by code. Every moment you're in regulation is another moment you wish you were. Out of regs, they'll keep you in code while encouraging you to push the limits, Uh, and of yeah. course, they have a have new the, Tonto's hair Tonto paste. hair gel, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is your yeah. signature item, and this is something you use every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, right? no, it's
1: it's fantastic. Me and Joe Van, who's at eleven Bravo Tenth Infantry Division, he's the one that runs out of rags. Uh Yeah, we started stuff uh, almost a year ago, and it's taken us about a year to get it get it perfected. But the the, the stuff is medium hold. It's fantastic. It smells like the little fragrance of coconut and lavender. Just, it's relaxing, you know, and you smell it, but it's not overbearing. So you don't smell like you've got copper tone coconut oil all over your body. Uh, and it, it really works, but it, it's great medium hold. And the container, yeah, there there has been, you know, where the container looks small, but it's guys, that it stuff lasts three, four months because you don't need to use a lot of it. Maybe a thumbnail. Is about all you need to use every day, and it's it's fantastic. And it, and I can still roll my hands through it, and it still stays stays held after I roll my hands through it. So uh, uh, and run my fingers through my hair, beautiful. Run my fingers through my hair. That yeah. sounds sexy. But um, you guys, try it out. And they also have other great great products. But heck yeah, the Tono one Tono pomade is the best pomade by far yeah <laughs> In my
0: opinion. and I you know they didn't they didn't mention a promo code to me but then I went to your mm-hmm. website actually and and you do have a promo code for yeah, the tonto yeah, hair yeah, paste yeah. which is gonna save you a lot you get five dollars off with that so you could use promo code tonto 20 that's out of regs.com with a z out of regs r e g z.com check them out we're really excited to have them on board and uh with that we're gonna get right into everything.
2: You are now tuned into The Battle Line Podcast.
0: The switch is on battle line podcast very excited to have greg anderson coming on for the first time um but the unfortunate first thing i I wanted to mention and we didn't mention it last episode because i heard the news really after we recorded we recorded that episode a few days in advance was that john bartolo has passed away and he was a guest just recently he was on episode 115 if you guys want to revisit that and we were actually supposed to go on his show um he set up a date with me we probably would have been going on this week and unfortunately that won't be happening it'll never be happening and the, the you know the thing is I you know I was thinking about this this morning just reflecting on the show that we do and why why I love interviewing these guys is because even though neither of us knew John you know personally or anything like that the, the hour that we get out of guys when it's a solid interview and it, and it was a really solid interview with him I think we went like an hour and a half I, I learned a lot about the guy and I don't know about you the thing that always stuck out to me was just his humor you he, he was a funny guy yeah I,
1: he huh you know guys like that they they and you can tell they live hard and they they live by the seat of their pants and uh, daily and and uh you know it, it sometimes the the light just burns out and and it, I, i've seen with so many guys that i've worked with and um john not he was a contractor military or anything but sometimes it's just that personality that you just you you live hard and you live fast and 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 that takes a toll on your body sometimes. And we don't know, again, we're, we're still, we're still figuring yeah, I out. I mean,
0: uh, to be fair, we have no idea but, what happened. Just,
1: just normal wear and tear on your body with the living hard and fast, the stressors that it caused. And I can, I can attest to that. Just, just living a normal, hard life, you know, live hard, work hard, play hard. It wears you out, but that also leads to a fulfilling life. So not on the negative side, it leads to a life where you can look back and, and, and you know, you make it down the road to your eighty, and look back and like, man, that was freaking awesome. I fucking lived a great life, and even though I had massive ups and ups and downs, it was better than just living living a flat line where I'm just living vanilla. I call it living vanilla. So uh, he, he I, you know, just for having that hour, you can tell he lived that roller coaster ride, and and he loved living that roller coaster ride. Just by that hour that we got to him, he he enjoyed it, and that's how he wanted to live. And you know, God bless him and 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 uh, his, his soul into heaven, but also God bless his family. And he left a little one behind, which is sad. That that yeah. is sad, and seen that happen before, where you know Tyrone left, for example, had just had a baby boy when he passed away, and um, you know, but I, I hope you know I hope people tell his son uh, good stories about his father, so he has good memories and know that his father did live lived his life how he wanted to live. And that's, that says a lot right there. That's just, that just says a lot for character is that he lived, he lived his life by his own path. And that's what he wanted to do. And that's a great thing to have that intestinal fortitude to do that.
0: Yeah, I, I have a statement, you know, by his good friend, Tony sent him at it, and, uh, and I don't know if it's saying his last name right, I'll read. But you know, I just also want to reflect on the thing that I remember most from that interview, you know, beyond just like what he did in the firearms community and all that, the thing that made me laugh the most was, uh, and you would know better than me, you, you know, guns, what was the gun that he that he kept holding the small, the small pistol, yeah. the
1: this, this small pistol, he kept making fun of how we were going to readjust the Every, every sheet. Yeah.
0: What was the gun though? Do
1: you remember? I don't remember. I'd have to listen He kept it. pulling
0: it out. God. That's the thing. That's why it would be great if we had video. Cause he kept pulling it out and I'll, I'll pull a clip. I'll, I'll edit it into the show. But, um, where he kept saying, yeah, like we moved it a quarter inch game changer <laughs>
3: and he kept doing it. Chris, you've been around this game yeah. a long time. The AR-15 technology has not changed. There's, it's not
1: changed an, an inch. Nothing you walk at around
3: all. this industry and everybody's like, look at this rail. It's the latest. <laughs> <tonight>. <laughs> it, it, Chris, you have no idea. This rail is going to take you home tonight and buy you dinner. And you're like, oh, why, great. You know, they, I get it. They're engineers and that's their baby. We totally get it. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to understand, for me to market this as your baby and for me to make you king shit in the industry, I have to take this and I have to make it sexy to my audience and yeah. to everybody around me. And to do that, it's going to cost X. And they're like, whoa, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. and you're like, well, what do you want to do here?
0: It, it truly made me laugh because you could tell he had a passion for what he did. And he had like a low tolerance for bullshit. Yeah. You know, Yeah,
1: that, that's another thing is as somebody that's like that, but has still has the respect to. And he did. He had ultimate respect for veterans. He really, he did. And that was... That.
0: he. You know what? He did. But at the same time, he had no problem saying on the show, and I, I I respected him for this because of the fact that, like, I think someone would go on with you and be like, I have to fit this narrative of what people are going to like. And he had no problem saying, if you remember during that show, yeah, he was like, I kind of wish there were more civilians out there talking about the Second Amendment because he was like, for you guys who, who are... Uh, special operations, military veterans, yeah, like you guys are always carrying what you want in combat. That's the same for every country. He's like that doesn't. He, he kept saying he was like that. That's not what the Second Amendment is about. He's like we need more civilians out there talking about the Second Amendment.
3: The gun industry, and it's no disrespect, is not representative of the tip of the spear. If the Second Amendment went away tomorrow, Navy SEALs would still have guns. If the Second Amendment went away tomorrow, Marines would still have guns. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. why nationally does Tucker Carlson and anybody else continue to say we have a great spokesperson for the Second Amendment? Yeah. It- know door gunner so-and-so i'm not sure what that means and i do get upset when i start to see representations like that because we're a better and more of an industry more robust industry than hickok 45 taking shots down the range there's more to it than that and i think we don't do a good job capturing that story a lot of these ffls as you know chris they're family-owned businesses they're struggling to get by they're constantly getting guns pulled from their list, yeah. stuff taken away from them to sell, and they're getting eaten up by the online. But we need those FFLs. Without those FFLs, we can't transfer guns. And that's yeah. eventually what they want to come after,
0: that and taxing the ammo, which yeah. the ammo debate is a whole nother thing. And he had no problem saying that. He wasn't like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to offend Tom. Well,
1: I, I, I don't know why that would. That would never offend. I think more people... Yeah. If it does offend somebody that's in the military community, you need to check your fucking ego out there, man, because there's nothing to offend there. The more people you have, whether they are law enforcement, veteran, or whether they're military, whether former military veterans, of course. Uh, but the more people you have that understand the Second Amendment, understand the importance of it and, and understand and, and do understand the true value of. Of, of firearms uh, really And there's a value to it I, I've I've saved lives with firearms I've seen lives taken with firearms I've seen both sides of the house But there is a definite value to having them And being an instructor Seeing somebody come out To learn how to shoot a gun And never shot before And then seeing them leave, leave the range With a massive amount of confidence Just in themselves Because they conquered a fear um, That says right there For the value of the Second Amendment And firearms And the more people that we have that back the second amendment, the less likely we are ever to have ever have politicians tear it out of our constitution. And that's important. So you have to have everybody. Civilians are are the most important because there are so many more just civilians out there than there are veterans and law enforcement and so forth. There are, and that's, who's going to, that's who's going to save the second amendment for years and years and years to come, not the military, not the law enforcement, because we're going to carry regardless. That's our job.
0: Yeah, it's somebody. Yeah, and that was his point. Yeah, it, yeah. It,
1: it, but it—that's that's, that's uh, the civilian world and civilians and their importance of backing the Second Amendment and learning how to safely and effectively and efficiently handle firearms is what's going to keep the Second Amendment alive and well for years and years to come. And yeah, that's why I admire that. I, I, again, I I I don't think. John would think he would offend me but if he thought he would and he said it anyway well kudos to john's spirit up there for for doing that okay, but it would never
0: yeah me. I, I think that was just him. i think he i could tell he was a true and i say it with affinity like a mass <laughs> he was he was a boston guy and he kind of told it how he is he had that personality um and that's actually why i want to read the statement from uh at real underscore tactical tony sentiment uh sentiment uh his his good friend because i thought what he said could speak way you know more volumes than what you or I say, because this was a great friend of his. So he wrote, um, I honestly don't know what to write. I just lost my best friend and brother. I am broken inside, and I write this caption in tears as I've been since last night, still in disbelief. John Bartolo was the most blunt, abrasive human to walk the earth, but he was the most genuine, authentic, and giving friend you could ever have. And without John Bartolo, there would be no real-world tactical. He left a two-month-old baby boy by the name of TJ that will never know his father, only through videos and podcasts, and it breaks my heart. I always preach that tomorrow isn't guaranteed, that each day is a gift, and this tragedy really solidified it. I FaceTimed with John 15 minutes before he passed, so I was at least able to see him one last time. I heard what he would tell me every time we talked almost every day for the last time. Call me later when you're done. I'll be around. I'm making this post so that him and his fa- so that his family and his son can read this and know that John was loved, respected, honored by many, and will leave a legacy that he built with the John Bartolo Show. That his son will know that the last name he carries is a name that many hold to the highest standard as a true leader and the hardest working, and the hardest worker in the fucking room. I will see you soon, my brother. I will make sure your son will know who you are, and he will never be in need of anything in this fucking life as long as I am alive. I love you rest in peace so I mean that kind of says it all yeah yeah
1: but I, I, on my side of the house too many times I've heard something like that <laughs> written by a friend who's lost the best friend uh, it's it's I can it's it's I can count it all on both hands multiply it by three and uh, it's sad to keep hearing stuff like that for me uh, I almost become desensitized to a lot of it to be honest with you I do I was like oh, shit I heard another one are you kidding me but uh you know it, that being said, it's nice to have the somebody out there that cares for another person like that because they can pass on the and I don't say a legacy, just pass on the memory of that person who passed and and um, yeah, like I said, he he can say it a lot more, be- a lot better, a lot more better. Is that a good
0: English? <laughs> a lot better. <laughs> you and I are both I think, like struggling I, with language. I think I like. watched
1: Zoolander this morning, guys. People that don't read too much. Nice. but um, uh, people, you know, <laughs> people out there that can explain and express how that person that passed explain their life and what it meant to what their lives meant to them to help them become better as well. So, um, but it's hard. It, it is it for a person like myself. And there are a lot of, a lot of guys out there, a lot of men and women out there that have lost a lot of friends and not just in common, just every day, just stuff that just happens, you know, and, and and, and well the
0: past you know the past two years too i, I don't know if you realize like we're celebrating <laughs> celebrating it's, it's two years since the initial lockdowns and in these past two years we've lost a ton of people right. I, mean, I know i know a guy who's a listener of the show who's a friend of mine like lost two family members to COVID. it's it's been a crazy two years for a lot of, uh, a lot of people uh,
1: yeah it's just it's just it's just that's life that's how it is so you you yeah. live it yeah live it to the fullest but keep in mind, live it with virtue and live it with some morality, too. When I say live it to the fullest, I remember when I was younger and somebody said that it was, OK, go do everything. And no, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. But when you're young and you're dumb and you're full of cum sort of thing, that's what you used to say all the time. You're going to live. Yeah. You're going to live young and you're going to live dumb and you're going to learn. But that's how you learn. But I, I, you're always going to have this old hat guy like myself telling you, hey, Be careful what you're doing. Just like the old guys used to tell me that I never listened to and I had to figure out for myself, but that's life. But it still is better than just sitting in your room scared. Don't do that. Get out there and and experience, experience everything. Then you know what you like and you know what you don't like. And then you can have that abrasive attitude down the line because you have wisdom and you know you've been burned and you've also succeeded. So, you know you know, that, and, and you don't, you do, like, we always say in the military and you've heard it with a lot of veterans. You don't know unless you know, well, that's what, that's why we say it. you don't have a clue unless you've been through it. And unless you haven't, if you haven't been through it, then don't say a word because you don't know unless you know, that's the same thing. And I think with John's life, and this is from, this is purely skeptical. I don't know. I, I mean, we knew John from the show, but just talking to him, I think John experienced a lot of failure But he also learned from those failures and experienced a lot of success. But that's where he gained his confidence and he gained his abrasiveness, you could say. But that abrasiveness is a form of confidence because if you're not confident in yourself, you're not going to be able to say what you want to say unless you are massively insecure, which I don't think John was insecure
0: by, no. by reason at all. No, I didn't. I didn't get that impression. But anyway, that, that, um, there's my soapbox yeah. thing
1: right there. That's it. I'm
0: I'm dead. I'm dead. Yeah. Rest in peace to to John Bartolo. And and once again, if you guys want to listen back to that episode that was 115, go back and revisit it and remember him. And I'll put this had a lot of on, on our fun YouTube episode. as well. we Laughed
1: a lot during that. It was fun.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of laughs and there's a lot of genuine laughs. You know, there's certain episodes where <laughs> you don't have it. He he was you nobody know, was a genuinely funny <laughs> guy. He he was. Um, you know what I wanted to mention, actually, and and we'll get into this, you know, as I said, it's like two years since the lockdown. And the reason this is embedded in my head was that 316, 2020 was the last time I was in a gym for like that two or three, you know, three month period where we couldn't be in gyms. And I remember like, I gave it my all at that time, because I was like, I don't know the next time I'm to be in a gym. And I think during those lockdowns, I totally fell off. And I felt like the residual effects of that for these past two years, it was also because I had to move out of my apartment. I had to figure out what I was doing next. And like, this is the first time I'm like in a place where I kind of like know where I am and I'm, I'm getting back into it fully um, for the first time in a while. And it feels good. It's it's it always has a positive impact on my life. It's something that, that I was missing for sure. Um, and, and the reason I mentioned this, too, is it, it all ties into, once again, exercise diet and supplementation and and that's why I did want to mention of course our friends at Bub's Naturals and and if you know anything about Bub if you listen to the episode with um Sean Lake Bub was an adventure seeker a river guide skier Ironman competitor fitness fanatic chef gardener handyman epic storyteller and of course Bub was a national hero a navy seal who saved lives there in Benghazi and that's why Sean started Bub's Naturals it really is such a unique product because there's a ton of protein supplements on the market um but people have often ask me as someone who is a personal trainer you know like what's the difference between eating food or taking a protein supplement and for the most part eating food is better because you are gonna get all those micronutrients but with a collagen protein supplement you don't really get collagen in your food this is this is an essential supplement that you should be taking in addition to whatever your diet is and that's, well, why, that's why we stand because it,
1: it helps your joints it helps recovery it helps the uh, helps those tendons and things rebuild. It it does. The joints, especially though, and as you get older like myself, you need the you need your joints and your tendons and everything that moves those muscles and hinges those muscles. You need them working well together. If you can have the biggest muscles in the world, but if your joints are crap it doesn't make a difference. You're not going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to move. You're not going to be able to do anything as far as working out, running, working out, going to the gym, running, doing any sort of, any sort of uh, fitness, fitness types, workouts. I keep saying workouts, but guys, you know, Bob's naturals is tremendous. It's the best collagen out there. I've been using it for years. I'm back to uh, back to out there running every day. If I wanted to run every day, I could back there, jumping on the trampoline, doing flips, My back doesn't hurt. My knees don't hurt. My ankles don't hurt. And this is after also doing a lot of years of service as well, uh, for the United States army and for the CIA where I met Bob. So, um, guys, I highly recommend all their products. You got to try them. If you haven't tried them do, and once you do, you're going to be hooked to them. So guys, and, and if you don't believe us, go search their website and you can always just hit up the, uh the comment section or hit up the ask question section on their website and you'll get all the answers. Tremendous customer service over there too, which is, um, which says a lot about their integrity.
0: Yeah. I I can't stress enough the value of collagen. It's the most abundant protein in the human body. It is literally the glue that holds our bodies together. It's a blend of highly functional amino acids found in all the body's connective tissue. This is something all of you should be taking. So check it out. BubsNaturals.com use the promo code battleline for 20% off as i often say you could find bubs naturals on the shelves of a yeah. lot of mainstream stores <clears throat> however you're going to get the best deal through us and you're going to help out the show so bubsnaturals.com promo code battleline this show is also sponsored by our friends at biopro plus are you 35 or older do you currently feel like you're lacking that primal motivation drive and energy you used to have do you want more out of life and to improve your performance in the gym and in the bedroom well, here's the deal. Every year after puberty, your growth hormone decreases, sometimes by 50% by the age of 35, which is pretty scary. And it only keeps going downhill from there, unfortunately. So it doesn't matter how in shape you are or how good your diet is, it's happening to all of us. That's where BioPro Plus comes in. BioPro Plus is the first of its kind, it's 100%. Non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH growth hormone treatments. It immediately replaces what your body is no longer getting. And it does it naturally. That's the big thing right here. Without the needles, no nasty side effects or expensive cost of the typical synthetic growth hormone treatment. So if you want to fix your performance in the bedroom, chronic fatigue and pain, or just how you look in the mirror, go to bioproteintech.com. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about it with Greg Anderson since Greg is also yeah. someone whose podcast is sponsored by Bio Protein Tech. So we'll talk about it a little bit more, but check them out guys. That's uh that's bioproteintech.com and listeners of the podcast are going to get $30 off by using the promo code battleline at checkout. Once again, that's bioproteintech.com. You'll receive $30 off by using the promo code BATTLELINE. And we're going to get into everything with Greg Anderson, and we'll be sure to get into a little bit about BioPro+. Plus. So uh, with that, let's get right into everything. So joining us for the first time on Battleline podcast, Greg Anderson, veteran of 2nd Ranger Battalion, went on to become a contractor for Triple Canopy and then former law enforcement officer, current Jiu Jitsu Academy owner and instructor. And of course, the host of the Endless Endeavor podcast currently. Uh, really excited to have you on, man. The thing that I was thinking, like uh, personally, and I, I thought this was interesting when I found your background and I saw your podcast and I was doing research it's actually hard to find out about like your initial background. Cause I, I was able to see like Greg Anderson, special operations veteran, but I didn't know you were a ranger until I like texted you. And it was like, what, what could we learn here? So it would be, it would be cool to actually, I think, start from the, the beginning. I think of yeah. like what inspired you to become a ranger going into becoming a ranger, that type of thing. And then from there, um, cause the interesting thing is I think from guys that we've interviewed on the show, Uh, The civilians like myself often think when you interview special ops veterans, they're going to say like, oh, I wanted to serve my country, you know, as a patriot. And I feel like more of the special ops veterans we've interviewed, it's more like, no, I just wanted to push myself to be my best self. I I wanted to challenge myself physically. So I'd love to hear like what what drove you to tell the kid, push your body and mind the kids out there
1: what the what the recruiters aren't telling them. Basically, that's what that's what you need to (laughs) tell them right now.
4: (laughs) So no, I, I wish I had the uh, the cool story that since I was eleven, I had this burning desire to serve. And uh, yeah, the truth is, high school didn't go too well for me. I was drinking, chasing girls, fighting. I hated doing schoolwork. I got stuck doing summer school just to graduate. And uh, I remember graduation was approaching. It was you know mid mid senior year. And I knew I hated school. That was one thing that I knew. And I was like, well, what are my options? I go into the workforce. I could go to college and waste a bunch of my parents' money. And then I was like, you know what? The, the Army's actually sounded pretty good. <laughs> and at the time, and I don't even know why, because I didn't know anything about Ranger Regiment or the SEAL teams, but I wanted to be a Ranger or a SEAL. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to be one of those two things. And I went and talked to the Navy recruiter and I talked to the Army recruiter and this is funny, but you hear the story often. The Navy recruiter was just kind of a, a dorky d bag that was re- real pushy, <laughs> and like, <laughs> and I was like, oh. And then the Army guy was super cool, man. Like we vibed and and we got along, and I just dug that guy. And I was like, you know, seventeen years old at the time. I'm like, you know what? The Army guy's cool. The Navy guy's not. So I'm gonna go Army. <laughs> it's like, and that's. You're, you're taking a whole career path based on the personalities of two people that both have nothing to do <laughs> with the path that you're about. To go <laughs> but at the time I thought like, okay, well, this is what the Navy is like. And this is what the Army's like. And so I went in, I wanted a ranger contract. And uh, back then it was rip yep. before we, we moved to RAS. But like all recruiters like, Oh, I don't have any of those available. Did, did it pull that but, but once you pull that shit once you get to airborne school or oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Once you get to, once you get to airborne school, you can ask to, to attend RIP. And, uh, I believed him and luckily it worked out. And you know, like sometimes needs of the regimen is what dictates yeah, yeah. how many people go through. RIP. Yeah. And so I was slotted to go to the 82nd and the whole time through uh, basic and airborne. I wanted to talk to a RIP recruiter and then at airborne school that actually happened and it worked. And so I feel like I lucked out because I know a lot of guys. Oh yeah, that wasn't an option they were going through. Oh yeah, that and so unbelievable that you got. That's just you're, you're like away. winning the lottery, bro. You got lucky as shit. Getting I know, right? Wow. And it was it, funny too. It was. Uh, do you remember Sergeant Rackus? Yeah, by chance. Yeah, actually, yeah, actually, I do. Okay. He was. He's who came down he, and he goes. All right, everybody that is going to attend Ranger Indoc program, fall out, form a formation behind, and we did. And then he was just like right face and took us on the death run of death runs right there on the spot. <laughs> and I come to find out afterwards, I heard he was like one of the fastest guys in the regiment and they, they purposely sent him down to do that because everybody fell out. And it's like, you know, if you fall out on a run, you're a shit bag. Yeah. So day or, or minute one of your experience with the regiment, they're making every single last person fall out of the formation run and then it was RIP after that. And I mean, you know how that goes. Um, I actually got medically recycled in RIP. They said they came out for morning PT and they're like, hey, if we call your name, fall out to the rear of the formation. They called like three of us and me being Anderson. I was the first one. And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, anytime you're yeah. out, you're yeah. like, oh, no. And they're like, you guys are all medical recycles. You can quit and go worldwide or you can live in the barracks for the next three weeks and attend the next course and uh it was because our physicals had expired oh wow okay and so all right yeah i mean the process the process between i was at uh 30th ag for like six weeks Dude, that's crazy. and that sucks
1: that's just that's just because that's yeah. just time that you're just there's
4: demolarization time because you're just you're waiting to go yeah. and you can't do it yeah we got down thing. there and they're like this was my this was like the first hour in the army and they're like listen up guys your, your basic isn't scheduled to start for six weeks. They sent you guys down here a little early, so now you're with us. I was like, oh, man. And
1: for, and for all you <laughs> listeners out there for that don't know the military, 30th AG, it's, it's your in-processing station when you get to basic or get to your basic training duty station, I should call it, And you're stuck there basically on a whirl. How, how many acres do you think it is? Maybe five acres, 10 acres, and you're stuck in this little, little facility. Basically, he's stuck in a little – in a little groundhog day for six weeks in a, just a shit, a ton of concrete and asshole drill sergeants that aren't real drill sergeants at the moment. Eh, I shouldn't say that some are, they're just taking a break. Um, and, and, uh, dude, no, go ahead, go ahead, go
4: ahead. That That the drill sergeants there are the ones that like, they didn't want on the (laughs) 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 Hey, we're going to send you guys to reception, you know, (laughs) but no, it was good. I mean, I like you said, a lot of special op- little spe- uh, special operations guys want to challenge themselves and that's kind of you know what inspires them to take that path. And for whatever reason, I said, you know what if I'm going to dedicate a certain amount of time to the army, let's see what they have to offer. How hard can I push myself? what what can I gain from what how can I maximize what I can gain from this experience and and I don't know what makes a young 17, 18 year old kid want to do that. But I'm so glad that I did. And I mean, the reality of the army is if you go 82nd or 101st or any of the infantry units, like those are great units. They did a lot of cool stuff. And and those guys got a lot of cool missions over the next, you know, 20 years of war that we were headed into. But for me, the Ranger Regiment opened so many doors for me that I never knew would be opened. And as soon as people saw that on your resume after you got out, like that in itself was something that was like, oh man, luckily I went this path because it lets people know you're willing to push a little farther, a little harder, you put a little more effort into things and it didn't go unnoticed. And so, yeah, I did that. It was, uh, check this out. nine eleven was my last day of ranger school
0: oh no shit here so, is also wow so yeah we so that's like the ultimate of wow. when they talk about 90s rangers you yeah sorry. so you went oh, to I school to
1: when did you go to school when did you start when was your zero, first day of uh, nine,
0: oh, uh
4: what, what would it have been july or something like that okay you know i went down right in the middle of summer and uh and i got stationed at second bat so i grew up in the yeah. in the west coast and then i got stationed at second bat so anything to get away from Georgia. And I was happy with that. But then going back to ranger school in the yeah, summer. that blows. And it was, uh, yeah, it was class 0901. And I went straight through. I did very well in ranger school. And unlike most rangers, I hated it. Like when I look back on that experience, I'm not like, oh, ranger school is fun. It's like, <laughs> not, not really. <laughs> no. If, you uh, give, give if a, that's a, your idea give, I'm your, What was your worst, worst, worst?
1: (laughs) There's a lot of it. What was your worst or or even your best memory of, and I like to hear them because honestly it brings me back because I was, I was just seven months ahead of you. I just zero two zero one. I graduated right before block leave of Christmas. So I was like, if you don't graduate Florida then, then I had to stay for block leave. Like, holy fuck, I better pass my last, my last patrol because I didn't want to stay and I want to go. But when yeah when did what well, give me an experience and in, and in, cuz I, and I like to hear him but a lot of our listeners like to hear him do you have anything you remember that just stands out from ranger school
4: you, you know I'll tell you, a story. I'll, I'll tell you a story that stands out from rip more than ranger school okay and i like to tell i like to tell the story because it kind of gives it peels back the curtain a little bit of what type of people they're looking to bring into special operations and i remember it was what was it january or february we we're out on col range and it's just pissing rain. And, and as you know, they've cold range is like a little piece of hell that, <laughs> the, the Rip Cat
1: yeah, uh,
4: created this little like torture chamber and, and you know, you're like hitting the wood line, hitting the wood line. And then they said, listen up each, we had four squads. They said, each squad grab a log and hold that log over your head. And so we're all holding the log over our head and it's cold and you're shaking. And they said, listen up Rangers this exercise does not conclude until we have two quitters and they said just so we're clear that means it can conclude in three minutes three hours (laughs) or three days (laughs) nobody sets a log down until two people quit go and it's like whoa like what what is this really gonna look like yeah fuck fuck games man unbelievable fuck fuck games and then It was cold and they built a fire and they were grilling food (laughs) and they had uh, coffee and beers. And they're like, and just so you guys know, if you decide that the regiment's not for you, if you decide that you want to, you want to quit and and go worldwide. We respect that. Like that's, that's a decision that only you can come to and you can come over here. We'll give you blankets. You can have a warm cup of coffee. And like they were enticing people. And I remember thinking, man, are are two people really going to quit? Is this, yeah. is this really going to convince two people to quit? And then I remember the thought that I had, and this is exactly what they're looking for. I'm like, man, if I quit because this sucks, I'm the weight of what I'm carrying on this log goes to all these other men. Like as soon as you step out from underneath that log, you're buddy fucking those yeah. guys that are there with you. And I was like, there's, I guess I'll have to die first you know well, I, and that's exactly what they're looking for yeah exactly and uh, we
0: now now i have to know because I, yeah. I i know chris you, I, already, I,
4: already but, know, I already know the question you're gonna ask how long did yes. it take for two people yes. to yes i get that all the time and and unfortunately <laughs> when you're under the log and you're just shaking and shivering and i just went into that zone i went into yeah. that place inside of my head where i was kind of detaching myself from the physical world and I don't know how long it was. I would guess maybe an hour or two. But yeah, like I don't.
0: Oh, I would have assumed it was long. I would. I was thinking you were going to say like you watched the sun go down and. You know. No, no,
1: no. You'd, nothing be, like that. you'd be surprised how quick people give up when they. And if you can't, I I, yeah. call, I call it going to my happy place. I used to go to my happy place, which was
0: like it, like it, had to no, go- it, was, <laughs>
1: it was. It was. It was seriously, but it was. It was. It was always little house on the prairie. Laura Ingalls little, running down the hill. That was my happy place. I would imagine the, the Midwest with the grass and the and that's where I would go. I, I, that's why I tell you. Just go to your happy place and just, just just mind numb it out, block it all out. I just want you to be happy, darling. All right, grandma. Grandma wants me to be
0: happy. Chin up, happy. Don't feel bad about me. I got my hand back. See, you've only just begun to. It's literally like happy. It Gilmore. was. It was literally. It that's was no literally reason. like happy, Gilbert, happy Gilbert,
1: Except, except like, Laura Ingalls didn't have a didn't have a negligee. Didn't have lingerie on with two beers. I wish she <laughs> did, but it did. But um, no, no, because you, you're spotting those things. And it was. That's people don't get it. It's not the yelling and the screaming that get you. It's the little fuck fuck games. It's the manipulation. It's the mind games that go on, and your mind can just screw your body over like that. And it, that's what I got most out of Coal Range was that dude, just don't quit. Your body's going to either it's going to die or it's not as long as you just get your mind. Yeah. Right. And then you just can tune out. Like you said, that's where I learned how to tune out was just, all right, just go fucking numb, go to a happy place. And I'm not here anymore. And, and it, it, it worked. I, no, that's amazing story, dude. I love it. It brought back a lot of memories. That's fucking in the fire. Oh, those fucking are those ranger, are those rip instructors. God damn. Those guys were such assholes. It's <laughs> just, just some uh, no, right? But they were supposed to be. And I would have been, if I was a rip instructor, I'd have been the same way. I'd have done the same fucking thing. So
4: you know it's funny when you look back on those experiences at the time, the men that were leading those courses, or when you got the regiment and the guy that was your squad leader or your team leader, remember looking at them just like they were gods, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And the truth is they were what 23? You know, yeah, that you got an E6 <laughs> you know that's I mean? the
1: 25 years old, and he's a senior guy that uh yeah i i remember do you remember what did you i don't know if you had any when you went through rip when i went through rip the second time i went through when i had that break in service um they would have guys come over from each each battalion that would be like um i don't know, liaisons or whatever they would be and uh, we, had a, yeah, yeah. we had a guy at Sansone that came over a sergeant and he was actually an import from 25th light that came in you know, already had his tab but he came in and And it was, it was kind of a a weird thing. Seeing him come in and I'm at Rip respecting the hell out of him. Then we go back to battalion and he's not, I I was like, man, I think I was holding this guy too high of a regard when I got back to the unit. (laughs) It's like, geez, okay. Now I got to learn how to, how to not be, not just inflict intimidation on myself just by overthinking this guy's the world. And that taught me a lot too from Rip going there and then going back and actually going with the Sergeant Rothke that was fucking the man in comparison to somebody else that I just thought was, but I hadn't really spent enough time with them. So I was, I was mind fucking myself before I even, before I even should have. And, and that was the, something I, sure. I, I learned a lot from, from rip too. But yeah, yeah, keep going, bro. This is awesome. I love this. I love this.
4: this is no, amazing. So then, you know, I went into, got selected for second battalion we got to put a little wish list together, and they actually worked with most guys. Yeah, they did. And, I, you know, it's the army. Who knows how that was going to play out? Obviously, needs of the regiment dictate where you go. But they, see, I've heard stories where they're like, they'll swap people. Like, I want third bat. I want second. Well, too bad. You guys are going here. Like, we didn't see that in our class. If there was the, the openings that were available, they let the guys pretty much pick and choose. I saw that, too. And, uh, yeah, ended up, you know, doing... I don't remember what it was, but it was like a year as a private. It was a long time. And it was because we got a huge influx of privates at the time. Our squad was like, you know, the squad leader, the two team leaders, and 10 privates. Okay. And uh, but it was cool though. It was a cool experience, you know, because as privates, we all live together. We're all coming up through the ranks together. And uh and which company were yeah, like you, which company
1: were I- you at again, Greg? I can't remember. Which company were alpha. you at? You're alpha? At- alpha? Yep. They, yeah, fucking single guy. Yep. The single guy, single young guy out of high school, always going to did all. That's where they all go. All the married guys go to Bravo. All the convicts go to Charlie, and all the single guys that, that are going to get in trouble and beat people up on the weekend because they're single and got nothing else to lose. They all go to Alpha Company. That's yeah. right. <laughs> that's
4: it. I remember. I remember. Uh, it was First Sergeant Walker yeah. used to say, "Like, listen up." Guys. He's like, "Listen up. If you guys go out drinking and getting in fights tonight." The only requirement is that you win and that you E&E quickly. <laughs> E&E. Right? Like, he goes, if you come back here beat up and you lost a fight, that's when you're really going to get. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I'm on my own, man. <laughs> this is this is the top rank NCO in the company. And he's telling us to go out there and beat people. Up. <laughs> but even him at the time, you know, who's like this this god amongst men how old was he probably you know 30 30 yeah or something probably or mid. Thir- like, i was gonna like, say mid
1: 30s maybe 37 38 years old and this guy and he's and he's the head guy it's amazing you look back now and I, it makes me feel old as dirt
4: but you're like god I dang i guy- used to look at him like man he's this old crusty first sergeant that's like been around the block and it's like now nah, he's 35 it's <laughs> <I know. still." laughs> <laughs> so fucking funny but uh yeah. So check this out. We're, we're at Eglin air force base mm-hmm. and it was ranger school over. We all got our goes. We turned our, or we didn't turn our gear and you do that back at Benning. Yeah. but we like did all the, the out briefing and we were, we got to sit there and eat all the food. Remember like when they open up, I forget what that little gator They're, cafe well, is they, they that,
1: did it because bur- somebody said it burnt and they built it again. The gator bar was still there. The gator, Ca- yeah, it was the gator bar, gator cafe. And somebody yeah, said yeah. that it had burnt down. I don't know if it burnt down when you had gone, w- before you got there. But, yeah, I remember sitting out oh, and just gorging myself. Oh,
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, yeah. And uh, so then the next morning, we're actually rigging up into our parachutes. And they said, because, uh, you know, you jump back into yep, it, yep, yep, yep. and then that's a wrap. And Cadre came out, and they said, hey, everybody d-rig, put your shoots in a pile over here. Come into the auditorium. We have something to talk about. And we're all like, hmm what's going on they're like hey bush grounded all planes your jump is canceled here's why and they turned on the tv and it's like oh shit we're going to war you know like everybody knew at that moment and it was funny because the the guys in regiment you know that like the guys that are in regiment that are in school with you you form like a little circle you know and i remember one of the guys was like Oh, we're going to war, man! We're going to war, and one of the one of the RIs is like, "Shut up! You guys aren't going anywhere. This will be over before you know it." And you could—it was funny looking back on that. It's like, oh, because he knew he wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. he's staying you right know? there at school. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you're staying right here. We actually are going to war. So check this out. I don't know if you remember what happened initially. Alpha Company was already slotted to do a training exercise in Amman, Jordan, mm-hmm. and so. We deployed to Jordan um, almost right after 9-11. And we were there during the invasion when 3rd Bat jumped into Rhino. And since we were so close initially, they were going to have Alpha Company be an attachment to the jump. And so, dude, it was October 19th, 2001. And they were saying we were going to get to invade Afghanistan with 3rd Battalion. And it's like... Dude, that's a, you know, a mustard stain. And all the guys that served in Panama or Grenada, they're like gods, you know? Because you got your little. And I was like, dude, here we are. Got your stain, man. And, yeah. and here's, the crazy, here's the crazy thing, dude. October 19th, 2001 was my 21st birthday. Oh. And I'm like, all right. So you get to jump I'm, in. I'm get invading you- Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, I'm invading Afghanistan, my 21st birthday. And then literally like right before, you know, shortly before it was green light. First sergeant kennedy comes out and he's like everybody form up uh they decided to cancel the the second battalion attachment we're we're no longer part of the mission and he st- he started kicking chairs around and throwing and shit. like he lost his mind
1: well he yeah, and so kennedy we was a pretty cool dude i liked i liked him even though he wasn't in my co- i i everybody knew kennedy kennedy was a
4: pretty yeah pretty, he was a ranger dude i he mean was he was fucking crazy i got some crazy yeah he's crazy for sure. Um, but no, he was a good first sergeant. You oh yeah. it be kind of crazy to be a yeah. company first sergeant. But, uh, so we ended up just sitting there on the airfield and listening oh, wow. to third battalion in Afghanistan. And I remember it was, <clears throat> I mean, it was almost a dry hole. What did they killed? One dude. Yeah. I think every yeah. single ranger I'm shot that dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's, that's what I heard. It's like, That's everybody, everybody got it. I, Cause was, it was,
1: it the airfield that they, was it, was that the airfield they jumped into when they jumped? it was and there was nothing there. there, yes, was, there it was
4: was, yeah, big, they said they're driving all little airfield. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And then they convoyed. Yep. The Marines landed and then they convoyed up to uh to Kandahar. Yep. But dude, here's a here's a funny thing. Like I had one of my buddies over um probably 2 or 3 months ago who was a unit guy for a long time and we met in the contracting world and we were talking about this and he goes, "Oh, you were you were slotted to jump on Rhino?" Yeah, when when third was jumping me and my guys were ripping up and down the, the <laughs> airfield on four-wheeler. <laughs> We'd been there for a few days already. And I was like, oh, okay. So those
1: guys – It wasn't – Why did they cancel you guys? I, I didn't, yeah. Nobody ever said – what did. was there a reason they just didn't need it? Because it was a dry hole and the they command they, knew it?
4: They, it was a, they said it was a battalion-sized objective, and they didn't need the attachments. Well, and what's so. third bat?
1: Were they the RF1 the RF yeah. guy? Okay, I just figured cause yep. third bat it didn't make a difference if it was first or second was RF one or not, third bat always got to jump first because they were always
4: by HK. Yeah, exactly. They're rightful. So Yeah, fuck it. But uh you know, and then we <coughs> we ended up doing a rotations to Afghanistan and it kept just being like you know, like I remember uh Randy Pazzard. do you know him by chance? I know
1: of the name. We've was, never uh, met we never met, buddy.
4: Never did. Okay. So he was my Ranger buddy all through Ranger School. Okay. And that's how I knew him. And then he got deployed with 1st Battalion a few months later and was involved in Operation Anaconda. Oh, wow. He was a 240 gunner. There's that that pretty like iconic picture of a 240 with a pile of brass. Yeah. It's like three feet high. That's it. That's, that was his 240. Holy shit. That was, yeah. wow. wow. And so like, you know, I'm hearing these stories from from these guys that I know that are just like, it's, oh dude, it's getting crazy over there. So then when we deployed, I was like, okay, this is it. This is go time. And our first deployment, we ended up being QRF out of Kandahar. And it was just like, we had a couple missions that were like, you know, downed aircrafts and some fucked up things, but it was never warfare. It was just... You know, mechanical air yeah. or the pilot, like a pilot drove his, uh, flew his 60 into the dirt, like a fucking dirt dart, just cause he, <laughs> he didn't pull up in time. Yeah. And it's like, fuck man, these are like tragic things and we're doing good missions, but we're not facing the enemy. You're not
1: doing what you and thought
4: was, thinking, war was, was war was, what was war. This is what I'm thinking. Like, we start yeah. Fucking bad guys. Redeploy home, do a second rotation over there. And we did six months the second time because the rest of the regiment invaded Iraq. Oh, and so I was like, right, yeah. damn it, I missed, I missed two invasions now. <laughs> and uh, our deployment, we were way up north of Asadabad yep. in, the, in the Hindu Kush. Uh, we we're actually out a Barry Cout. I don't know if you ever yep. worked out of that safe house. But the same thing, six months, and I didn't even fire my rifle. Wow. It was like, you know, a couple IEDs and a couple mortars, and then that was about it. And I started thinking, like, dude, this combat stuff is like... It's easy, <laughs> you know. Like, no, no one's ever so then, that was right when the the contracting world popped off, and I ended up getting a call from a friend that knew Matt Mann. Okay, I'm sure. You, yeah, you no, know, okay, and gave me the whole triple canopy story. And he's like, "Dude, you can go from making two thousand a month as an E five to damn near thirty thousand a month." That's and. Uh, it was a no brainer. I was like, "Oh, Roger this." You know, uh, I, I remember that and too. So, yeah,
1: that was big money, dude. Oh my! Lord. And
4: do you remember? Did you go through? Did you were with Triple Canopy? I, I went through BW. Point, right? I, I was
1: first class at BW, so I had actually jumped. Uh, I, okay. got, I got a yeah. I got a call from from Blackwater first, Triple Canopy second, and I didn't know it. I'll be honest with you. At the time, it was two thousand three. I had no fucking clue yep. what was. So I said, "Well, who called me first? Fine, I'll go this. way out." And but yeah, I, I remember thinking to myself when they talk to me, when they told me how much they are going to pay me per day, I was like, you're going to pay me what per day? Are you, are you are, did I hear that right? Uh, cause it was, it was crazy money. But um, we actually, cause there were so few of us, us dying core and triple canopy, we all washed out for each other because there wasn't enough guys we didn't have enough guns. We were trying to help each other out. And I, I do remember going to your bar, just going to the SF association meeting. They still had those in the beginning. I had to go over and hang out with you guys over at camp Olympia, all the Rangers and SF guys would come over and then we'd go back to, to the, to the annex or Saddam's palace, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The KBR trailers and the tent. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, now I, I remember, I remember that as well. It was just, there wasn't a lot of us, but it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Fun, fun time. A lot of money. A, lot, a ton of money. Wow.
4: Yeah. We, we yeah. ended up, uh, I mean, triple canopy actually ran like a mini selection and that's it what was I, a lot of shooting. That's what I heard. That's yeah. I heard. A lot of shooting and a lot of PT. And th- it was interesting because, you know, we were, the young Rangers there were kind of like bottom of the totem pole. It was a bunch of career, like unit guys and, and dev grew guys and, and force recon Marines. And so, I I learned though it's like dude rangers are very good at two things and that's shooting and fighting but you know what else we're good at it's just keeping our fucking mouth oh, sure. you know because like, we the regiment still has like a, a high amount of of military discipline oh, yeah. you know and and I saw dudes get kicked out of selection like green berets because they're like they just arguing with the cadre about things about tactics well I actually think that you know instead of And crisscross versus button hook or whatever it is. Right. And I'm like, you guys, like you can argue tactics all day, but this is, this is a cadre person that's teaching you something Yeah, that's obviously going to be interpreted the certain way, you know? And, uh, the young Rangers ended up doing very well because we shot well, we PT and we could keep our eyes open and our mouths shut. And I remember triple canopy ended up picking up a lot of dudes, a lot of young men at a regiment and, uh, and then this is where I got a real introduction to warfare because I was sent to Ramadi. Oh yeah. This was that, 04.
1: 04. Yeah, that was real busy. We lost one I lost one of my buddies there. It was one of the first contracts got sniped in the head.
4: Oh man. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was that was that was rough, dude. That was a rough time in Ramadi. So check this out. That was that was uh the like he was sitting in the government center. Yeah. In the little in the little tower out front. I've sat there a thousand times, like triple canopy. Triple Canopy was awarded that contract first and uh Bama was his name. Bama. He didn't get killed. He didn't get killed until Blackwater took that contract over. Um probably like a year later. It was oh, and so, oh, yep, oh 05. Oh, yep. 05 yeah. Yep. Yep. And I remember like okay, we're, uh, we're in the Hornets nest now. And I mean we got we got attacked in Ramadi on average 40 times a month. So and that includes both like indirect or IEDs or sniper fire, but it was once a day or more you could count on something, and it was like, oh okay, it, every day you go outside of the wire, somebody is going to try and
1: because it, cause it like was so sw- I mean, you really couldn't dip the routes. It was uh, so it, in comparison to Baghdad or anything, it, it wasn't a big huge place. And if you're going to Government Center every day, I mean you're being time and place predictable. Basically, you're violating everything of security that you're not supposed to be violating every day. You, there was no, you guys didn't have a chance,
4: really didn't. You didn't. Have- and with, with the two rivers there, there's only so many ways yeah. in and out of the city. Yep. Yeah. Period. Like they know at some point you're going to either cross this bridge or that bridge. You know, you can try and change your route up as much as you want, but there were some massive choke points in Ramadi, and and they use that to their advantage. And we got the I mean, we got ambushed hard. We got the shit shot out of us. And it, it was it was a very interesting experience because it taught me as a young man. And I talk about this often on my show. I came to the conclusion that it's like, OK, I'm not it, it's, it's this is a numbers game. And it's only a matter of time before one of these IUDs or one of these indirect mortars lands on top of my head. And then that's a wrap. And I remember a lot of people were living, like a lot of the Marines that were deployed with us and living on Camp Blue Diamond. Mm-hmm. That's a little little outpost we lived on. Man, when we'd be getting attacked, it would people would be getting terrorized and like screaming and running for bunkers and panicking. And I remember my team. Um, I don't know if you know Brad DeLauder by chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. His, his, yeah. He was my team leader at the time. Okay, Highway was his call sign. And, uh, man, that dude was just stoic and calm. And I remember he's like, man, look at all these people panicking. He goes, everybody panics and they run to a bunker. And he goes, and look, what is that bunker? That's a mass formation. <laughs> like, That's not what we <laughs> do during incorrect <laughs> He's like, I don't understand why these people are doing this. And I remember looking at highway. It's like, dude, there's bombs going off and his, his blood pressure isn't even raised. Yeah, Like he's speaking to me how we're talking right now. And it was like, okay, like, this is all just how you interpret the battlefield and how you react. That's all on you. Yeah. You can run around and be scared and let it affect you emotionally, or you can just be stoic and and be calculated and dissect it like a problem. And I remember taking a lot away from him. And cause at the time, you know, 23 year old Ranger. And then this guy was a, a, force recon Marine first Sergeant ton, like our, the, the amount of experience we had, the difference between us was vast. And by the end of that deployment i don't think i had the emotion of fear anymore it was like no matter how bad things got we were just like let's go bring like whatever bring it on you know <laughs> it's just and, uh, it's acceptance
1: it's, a lot of it's acceptance but it's not acceptance that oh, i'm going to yeah. die and that's what i think people confuse that it's like I, I I'm just accepting that I'm done. No, I'm not accepting that at all. I'm just accepting this is this is how life is. This is what it is. All right. This is what all right. Let's let's get it. Okay. All right. If it means I gotta get into it today, let's fucking get into it. If it means I don't, okay. If it means there's bombs going yeah. off, all right. I'm gonna put my earplugs in. I'm still gonna go take a nap because all right, it is what it is. <laughs> and I, but You know, that's yeah. that's the difference talking to a triple can because you guys had Lee Van Arsdale running triple TC at the time, and, and Lee's a legend, dude. That yeah. dude's a fucking man, you know. I, That's funny when you talk about the training, because on our side, we had the same thing, but we had a bunch of seals running it. So it didn't turn into, it turned into fights. I mean, I remember sitting back and watching guys fight the cadre because they were arguing and I'm, and you're right. A lot of the young Rangers, I was one, I, we would just sit back and just let it happen. Like all right, whatever you guys want to do, whenever you're done can we get back to training? But it was, it was fucking amazing. Cause I heard that the difference with triple canopy and blackwater, when the initial training came up, that yours was more regimented, which I would figured it would have been because it's army. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with Delta. You're dealing with a lot of guys that were Rangers or had been Rangers at high levels and coming to blackwater. It's a bunch of seals running thing. So we got mass chaos on one side with no control and you've got to control. <laughs> oh, the shocker seals fucking Delta. Uh, it, but I still have to admit that I did enjoy, and I got a lot out of the training, but it wasn't, for the Rangers, honestly, the Blackwater training to me, it wasn't hard at all. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the, the craziness going on. I enjoyed how much we we're getting paid. Once we got overseas, though, you're right, because I got a lot of time to, to, to get with the older guys and watch them. And also, I was older at the time, too. I had actually become a commissioned officer, like a dumbass. I shouldn't have. Um, so I, I, I had some seniority on me, but watching guys like Highway or it, at Blackwater, we had we had some senior guys over there, like uh, from Dev Group, a guy named Sachs, I could watch and just just watch their demeanor and just how they were. Just you're right. Just it's amazing. Calmness and confidence can lead and breed more calmness and confidence, just like chaos can breed and lead, more chaos. Uh, it is. You're you're spot on, man. And you got you guys were rough. Ramadi was rough. I was in Baghdad most of my time there and it was rough at okay. days depending on the areas you went whether you went to Solder City or Haifa Street or if you went out on route 10 like going to your guys's place and heading out but Ramadi yeah. was rough dude i remember those days that the guys guys that were going to Ramadi was yeah, that weren't ready for it they would come back and be like fuck this dude and and uh, uh but uh, you guys had your hands full and i admired you guys for that you guys did a lot of great things out there so that was that was fucking hornets' nest right out there definitely was
4: and dude, one of the, you know, I always like to mention this because the one of the unsung heroes of Ramadi was Keith Kidd. And I don't know if you've ever worked for no, Keith Kidd. No, I never. He I ended never. up becoming the ambassador. But at the time, he was just, his his task was Ambar Province. And uh, you know, like a lot of principals or the, the person that you're protecting as a security detail, a lot of times those guys start to think like they get to have some say in tactics or what time we're going to go where or how we get there or who we meet up with. And uh, this guy called like a team meeting and he was like this skinny, little n- nerdy lawyer. His arms look like spaghetti noodles. And uh, <laughs> he sent us all down and he goes, it, and it was funny too. He goes, man, look at all you guys, everybody around the fire looks like a superhero. He goes, like you're all jacked and big and strong. And he goes, and then there's me. And he goes, but I want you guys to be clear about something. You guys got hired to protect me because this is your specialty. This is what you guys do. He goes, I'm a lawyer. I don't have any idea what's going on outside of these wires. And he goes, so I want you guys to understand anytime you tell me anything, that's cool. I will 100% follow your orders. He goes, if you walk in during a, the middle of a meeting with the governor and you say, meeting's canceled, let's go. He goes, I'm getting up and we're leaving. He goes, I will never question you guys. He goes, I respect the fact that your job is to keep me alive. And I want to facilitate that the best manner that I can. That's awesome. And it's like, oh, okay. so now we got a good team of men, but the mission is built around a guy that gets it. And that's few. And You're right. There's few and far in like, between. There's not a yeah. lot of those out there at all. And, uh, that's why that team, you know, like there's there's a, there's always moments in your life when it feels like everything was meshing perfectly. And, uh, team Ramadi for that year, we didn't lose anyone. We had very minimal injuries. Like there was just like cuts and bumps and bruises and stuff from, from like indirect or whatever. But it was, uh, man, it was like, it almost felt like we were invincible because we were getting ambushed all the time. We were getting our asses shot off. But every time we'd get back to base, everybody did the right thing. Everybody, you know, they returned fire. The the cat team did the right thing. And every time it worked out and it's like, man, there's something fucking magic to this team. And uh, yeah, to this day, like I'm not one of those guys that like everything I wear is Ranger. I live in the past because I like to look at my life and the phases that they're in and prioritize who I am today. But I will always look back on the, the year and a half in Ramadi is like, a very formidable experience. I, I think, it really helped me grow. Awesome. I think that was for a
1: lot of guys coming in at that time because it was brand new for all of us, and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. I, I we got hit with rolling down streets. We don't know what we're doing. What's but just a grenade under your car that you don't even think about, and that happened on Hyper Street. Uh-huh. We're just coming right outside Little Assassin's Gate, like, oh, we're almost home. Somebody rolls a rolls a fucking uh, not Zakari. Who was the other? Well, Sauter's guys, or no, it was Zakari on Hyper Street. One of somebody just throws under from the militia throws under our car. I mean, you're like, okay, I really didn't think about that. What the fuck? All right, get your head in the fucking game here, dumbass. What? Yeah. But it, it was a lot of the, I think, I think a lot of us had our best teams those early years because we were all learning together and the learning curve was so fucking quick. And you were seeing, especially in Ramadi or Anbar province, if you went to Fallujah at all, or, or just even get out on route 10 and heading out past to, on route 10 Or getting even, even, you know, like I always say, the wild street was always wild craziness. But you had to learn quick and you had to become a team quick just so everybody would get home. But it did make it for a special moment because everybody was learning together and you were learning life or death. And I hate to be dramatic like that, but essentially that's what it was. But then everybody accepted it. So it was like, fuck it. All right, well let's go, let's go have fun. Turn on the slipknot. Let's fucking start rocking out. Let's let's go. Let's go. Yeah. It, 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 that,
4: that, no, and it, it was one of the good, the best things that I took away from that experience. Cause growing up in the regiment, like, yes, I had a lot of respect for my leaders, but just the dynamics of how the army works, like, We wouldn't, we would not get to know our leaders per se, right? Like you're not going to go out and hang out with them because it was fraternization. Like you are literally not supposed to get to know those people too well. And there was always like a, an amount of separation between like, you know, the E-5s and the E-6s or the E-6 and the E-7, but that's by design too. And I realized that that is because the army needs to have structure in place when when there are certain men that may not have the discipline to not have that structure underneath them, because yeah, once you're in the contracting world, I mean, like my project manager at Kurt Utz. I don't know if you've yeah, ever do, yeah. crossed yeah. paths with yeah, him. yeah I have. But he was a unit, he was a unit sergeant major. Like that dude was the pinnacle of special operations. And I got there, and he's like, "Hey, what's up, man? I'm Kurt." Everyone calls me pig pen. I'm going to put you up in this hooch over here. Did you lock and up? Him and I did,
1: did you go to parade rest right off the bat? Though no. Did you lock up? No, <laughs> like fucking no, it. This stuff.
4: <laughs> You know, fast forward three months and me and Kurt are rotating out for a, a three week vacation or something together. And he's like, Hey Greg, this is what I'm doing over the next 15 days. I'm going to, I'm going to take a flight up to Prague. I'm going to party at the Czech Republic <laughs> for new years. And then I'm going to take a train. And he, and, and then another guy, Lee Deckelman, who you probably yeah, know, yeah. Sonny. Yeah. So he was there too. And he's like, dude, that's what you're doing. And and Lee was the AIC Pigpen was the overall project manager. And I was the brand new guy, bottom of the totem pole. And the three of us went on like a three week vacation and toured Europe together. And it's like, you can actually have intimate, close bonds with the people that are inside of your chain of command. If you have the maturity, once it's go time and we're back to work and they say, Hey, I need you to be here and I need you to do this. Roger that got it. And it's like, Oh, this, this military courtesy where I have to pretend you're a superior person. It's like, no, if, if we all are on the same mission and the same vibe and we all understand each other, you can actually have very, very close relationships with the people that are in leadership positions. And yeah you know i I'm, I'm actually going to a wedding in 2 weeks from one of the team leaders from triple canopy who was a unit guy and it's like to this day i'm still friends with these people and it was it was almost like it was almost a breath of fresh air because i got to see a different style of leadership yeah. where it was not based on ego it was not based on aggression no one ever raised their voice at each other it's like hey if you want to be part of this team awesome and if you don't that's awesome too we'll help you pack your bags and that's cool uh, yeah, man, I, I like. I was just going to say, it ran things because that was a unit mentality, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say going back to something that that you said uh, earlier, just before that, where you were saying, you know, that it was a great time in your life, but you're not someone who likes to live in the past. You're someone who likes to focus on the present. Um, I mean, right now, you're doing a lot of amazing things with jujitsu, with the podcast, and the thing with podcasts. I mean, as you know, it's become such a saturated thing where everybody has a podcast, but. When you look at what you're currently doing, this thing is actually really blown up, Endless Endeavor. If you look at the reviews that people are giving, how did it all come off the ground? And, and also, it seems like it's something that you're, you're truly enjoying. I think for some people, just like they start a podcast, they don't have any direction with it. You're actually doing something that's unique. So
4: this is actually funny because every podcast that I do, I usually get asked about the catalyst that brought me to the podcast platform. And I don't even know if you guys know my story of what happened. To me. I,
0: well, I know from what you were texting me, right. It was, it was the video, the video is well, you. No, I, honestly, on, right? I, I remember when it happened and I don't get on
1: social media okay. a lot, but I saw, and I was like second back. I, sh- and I, I, I had just gotten out of all the shit that I'd gone through with the media and all that. I mean, I, I, I'd stepped away from it because it was so I, I saw how ridiculous it was, to be honest with you. And I remember yeah, I, yeah. I hit you up a little. It was me. That wasn't somebody that was, I was like, dude, if you need to talk and I didn't want you to get, I didn't expect you to get back to me or anything. It's like, Hey, from somebody who's gone through the last four years of this shit, where they're going to, th- th- they're going to want you to be their fucking golden boy. Hey, fucking Republicans. Yeah. Oh, I was like, Hey, uh, bro, hit me up and see us. And that's why like, I'm here. Don't get back to me. I don't need anything from you. I just want you to know if you want to, to bounce some eyes off, bounce some ears off something, or just I'm here, and and I, that, I did that because yeah. I, I was not more or less is just like fuck, it, dude. I Greg's going to be getting hit by Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Jake Tapper, and they're just going to want to suck you fucking dry. And I was like, I, I just want.
0: Which, by the way, it's like can well, be okay if you if no. you are able to like stay on target, and and do I what I, I was I mean cause there there's guys like Jack Carr who we see in the media all the time, and I think Jack Carr like. He doesn't really get that political. He talks about what he wants to talk about. And um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, getting de- back de- yeah, to yeah, how, how you yeah, experienced de-
4: definitely, it. Definitely. definitely. So I'll, I'll paint the picture a little bit. I ended up milita- doing military contracts from 04 to 09. Okay. And in 2009, I was deployed. I don't even know if you can consider it a deployment because I was in Erbil and it that was, was fun, dude.
1: You get to go to the ice skating rink up, 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 up yeah, the mall like,
4: and go get some paid, pizza, paid drive paid some, driving go karts. It's a great time, dude. Come on, man. But my wife texted me a picture over email and it was a positive pregnancy test. And she said, Hey, I think it's time we start looking at something a little different because I can't have you gone six to nine months out of the year and raise a family. And, uh, to tell you the truth, I thought I would be a contractor for the rest of my life, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then I thought about it I was like hey, you made a choice to get married and now this woman's having your child and she's right. Like I I can't I shouldn't try and be a dad from the other side of the world. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. And a lot of guys did it and I respect them for it, but I don't know how they did it, man. That's tough. It, That's tough.
1: It, it, it you know, there's there's some regret now here for my older kids because I I didn't get that, huh. all that time. I don't have any regrets from overseas. Nothing. Like, ah, I wish I would have done this, or wish I would have been in this, wish I would have done more of this. It's damn, I wish I would have been home more for Halloween. Gosh, damn, I wish I would have been home more yeah. for birthdays. That's so, uh, dude, That that's admirable. I, I respect you, respect the hell out of you for that because there's a lot of guys that can't think that way or have to learn the hard way like I did, come back home and now I get to do it with my
4: six year old. But I, I, I had to learn the hard well, way. And it was tough, too, because going into law enforcement back then, it was 2000. 2000- 2009 she got pregnant and then i didn't i came home and i i went to school and used the gi bill and we lived on that for a little bit and then in 2011 i went into law enforcement but we were making like fifty thousand dollars a year like it was you're below the poverty line yeah and uh you know here's the thing about law enforcement it's a natural progression for a lot of soldiers because you're like okay i had camaraderie and it's i'm around cool guys and we do tactics and we have guns and i thought that i would have somewhat of a of a similar experience and i'm not saying this necessarily in like a pejorative manner because i know there's a lot of cops out there that do like their job and it's important and it's special to them but for me i never found what i was looking for inside of law enforcement that was not my scene that was not my vibe and that was in the mission to me just never felt like super noble or honorable. It felt like, man, I'm just dealing. It's like Groundhog's Day. I'm dealing with shitty people doing shitty things. And so I'll tell you, like every once in a while as a police officer, like I remember I, I revived a guy uh, and broke all his ribs and, and brought him back to life. And then a couple weeks later, he came back down with his kids to thank me. And it's like, oh, man, that's why I'm a cop right there. You know, and it's like or, or like catching, a catching and arresting, uh, a man taking pictures of little boys trying to use the bathroom. It's like, yes, fuck the fuck that guy got, got him every once in a while. What you do feels like it's making a difference in your community, but more often than not, for me, the profession just sucks your soul dry and you start to just become like old and jaded and your body feels broke down all the time. Cause you're doing 12 hour shifts and kit and it's like, that was cool when we were 23, but I'm 41. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a different thing. And uh, so I, w- I wasn't in love with the profession anyways. I worked for pretty good people. And I enjoyed the people that I would spend my shift with. But the job itself, there was something missing in me. And, uh, and then the coronavirus stuff popped off. And immediately, as a police officer, like immediately out of the gates, I saw like that dude getting arrested for going surfing. And I'm like, the government, the government has lost their mind. Like, you don't, we don't own, I'm a police officer. I don't own the ocean. I can't tell you, you can't surf (laughs) just because Gavin Newsom tells you, you can't surf. Like it wasn't making sense. And you want to talk about like state of emergency or martial law. And it's like, those are very, very like slippery slopes. And you yeah. you start saying oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. Immediately, something felt off to me, but I didn't want to base it on like you know science or politics because the, the the pandemic was so new, nobody really knew what was going on. I just knew something felt off, and I was watching cops go in, and this is kind of what pushed me over the edge. There was cops that started doing undercover operations to bus businesses that were still open, and I'm like, listen. If this is so dangerous that we as police officers need to deprive people of their constitutional rights, but you're doing that by setting up operations and going into their place of business, us, them like, no, 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 no. If it's Ebola and you catch this and you die, like on the spot, that's dude. the level of importance that they seem like they're putting on this. But if you're actually going to walk into the business and arrest them and then take that person and put them in a county jail with a hundred other people, like this is counterproductive to what we are trying to do here. So I remember every single cop, not, not most cops, not 99%. I have yet to meet the cop that saw what was happening and said, yeah, this is a good idea. We should be arresting people for going to the park. We should be arresting people for keeping their businesses open. No cop liked the direction that they were taking our profession, but no one would say anything.
1: And is that, and is that just because like, of my, because just livelihood. I mean, that's what I marred you about is it's, 100%. it's like bandit.
4: 100%. Everybody is a slave. I always say like, man, yeah, we, uh, the American culture replaced the whip with the dollar. Like a lot of Americans are still enslaved right now because if you're doing something that goes against your morals or your ethics, simply because you're getting paid, you are a slave. Yeah. And I don't care how, I mean, you need to draw a hard line and you're, you're on one side of that line or the other. And if they're pushing you to behave or, or, or enforce laws that you and your heart don't feel are moral or ethical, you need to stand up as a police officer. And so my fear was that we were going to turn the American public against the profession, because the relationship between the American people and the profession of law enforcement, there's an ebb and flow to it. Sometimes cops are heroes and then sometimes cops are racist demons and it goes back and forth. But I felt like we were, we had been on a pretty good trajectory for a while. And I was like, man, if they use us to enforce all this stuff, it's going to make the American people hate the profession. And that's what inspired me to make that video. And if you listen to the video, I didn't get political. I didn't even talk. I didn't even touch about on the virus much because I understood I have my opinions, but I'm not a doctor. I'm a cop. And so anything that I say, people aren't going to give validity to. So I didn't want to make the message about that. I wanted to make the message about our oath as police officers is to swear is sworn to uphold your citizens, constitutional rights and their, and their liberties that are supposed to be protected by the government. And when you go into somebody's place of business and and you take them out of there, that's like, and I, I went down the list of what's a fourth amendment violation. What's a first amendment violation. And, uh, man, it resonated with people. And that video went like did, super viral. Yeah. No, it, super, viral. But, it, but you're, you're right.
1: And, a lot of people were feeling that man, you, you hit the nail on the head when you, when you, when you did it, it was, it was very eloquent for a ranger and you actually use syllables like words with four syllables and five syllables it was impressive <laughs> extremely impressive
4: <laughs> and you know here's the weird thing about that this is a big learning experience for me because <clears throat> i own a gym so my information's public you can google my gym and my phone number that is attached to the gym is this phone right here and so i never had a reason to have a work phone and a and a, and a personal phone and so man that phone started ringing literally 24 <laughs> seven for like a month. And it was bizarre because 99% of people that contacted me, it would be like, oh, are you the cop from the video? Is this really? The <laughs> like, yeah. 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 What's up? Man? Oh, Dude, I just wanted to say that was awesome. Later, dude, click. And it was a bunch of, like, <laughs> a bunch of weird interactions. And then every once in a while, It'd be like, hey, motherfucker, <laughs> your stupid ass video is going to get people killed because now they're not taking the coronavirus as serious as they should. I hope you fucking die. Click. And it's like, man, that was bothering me. <laughs> And it was like, dude, 99% of people were supportive, but 1% of people were sending fucked up things. And that hurt. like, dude, like someone sent my wife a message saying they're going to kill my kids. And it's like, dude, yeah. I don't know why, what it is inside of us, but instead of focusing on the good, I found myself focusing on the negative and it's like, yeah. I would allow these little bits of hate coming in to affect me or get me upset. Or uh, just like you mentioned earlier, like the media, every single media outlet wanted to have me on their story. And I ended up doing a uh, uh, Laura Ingram. I ended up doing her show and She didn't paint me in a bad light or manipulate my words, but just the way that I was able to convey my points. I mean, you and I have been talking for 55 minutes. This is a conversation, right? Exactly. That's why I love what we do. On Fox News, it's like, all right, we're going to (laughs) be back in three. All right, we're (laughs) live. I'm here with the Seattle Police Officer, Greg Anderson. Greg, do you think that the government is a tyrannical government right now sure. uh, yes <laughs> and it was like all right going back to break and i remember thinking yeah, like I, man this this lady may be in my side like politically or or whatever it may be like she may be supportive of of what i did but i'm still not getting to convey no, anything about know. me or police or and i was like maybe <clears throat> these media outlets are no longer for me I don't enjoy this.
0: Yeah, it's at all. truly it's truly why I like doing podcasts. And actually, in the intro um, with Chris, we were talking about that how you do these small hits, you don't really get to know the person. And pretty much everybody I've interviewed, I've, I've really gotten to know. Like, I feel like I know you, even though we've never met. We've we've had a lot to say in this past hour. Um, yeah. The only thing I was going to say, I know Chris, you have like a hard. Yeah, we, we, we I g-
1: I got a contractor coming over, and I've, it's taken me forever to get him. But no, I, I still though you know talking with. That's why I hit you up, bro. That's because I remember but the first interview I did was Bill O'Reilly. I got to say five, I think okay. five fucking words. Who's who's I'm going to say it. this is coming from me. Who's a fucking oh, dude, I, I got to say five fucking. But that's what I was was like, hey, dude, I'm here if you need it. But you really had to go do it for yourself to figure out how it was. And, and yeah, and, and but I just wanted to know you had it. You had an ear that if it's like if you had a question, I got it. I understood. I really felt like I understood and I understood we got lucky. You know, when we left, we we lost our job. When we were, when they told us behind closed doors, "Hey, if you go say anything, you guys are losing your clearances, you're done." So it's like that's why yeah. I admired your livelihood because there's a lot of guys that don't. They use that as their their excuse. Well, I'm going to lose my job. Well, well, so fucking what? Say something. That's no, I'm going to lose my yeah. It now ours went but we didn't know it was going to go that route. In fact, we were still thinking when we we're going to go to prison for 10 years for violating our non-disclosure, you know, it's scary shit when you're leaving your job, yeah. it's scary shit to say the right, to say the words and, and, but to fall on the back. And I hated that. I hated that guys would do that. And even within the GRS or CIA side of the house, guys could have come forward with us. It was, well, I'm going to lose my job or this, the staffers. Well, I'd say something, but I'm going to lose my pension. They're not going to give me my pension. Well, fuck you. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Do, what's your moral what's your code? Pressure. Do you have it? Take the, you know, where's your yeah. faith? And that's, I admired that. And that's why I, I never hit up anybody in your position that came out like that and said stuff. Cause like, well, they got it yours. It's like, fuck, they're going to come after him, man. I just want to let him know that he, he's got a friend here. If he wants to, wants to ask anything, I, I get it. I, I, I really, I, at least I yeah. thought I got it.
0: And I mean no, I think that's, that's why the good. podcast took off. What what you're saying resonated was with awesome. people. Like I said though, I know I know you have a hard out, Crystal, so, and I want to make sure we hit on oh, that yeah. just cuz I you promised got, got we me. would. Um you know, we we got in touch with you and and I know that these guys are friends of yours as well and that you really endorse what they do and that's BioPro Plus and I know with Chris taking yeah. it now you've like been on board for a while and you were one of the guys who was early on board and I just wanted to like hear your thoughts on on what they're doing cuz we've been we've been happy to work with them.
4: Man, so I ended up uh, a podcast listener that knew Dustin connected okay. us. Okay. And, and we ended up talking on like a three-way group text and he's like, he's just like, Hey, this is the product that I put out. Are you interested in doing some kind of sponsorship? But all of my sponsorships, I'm very open about it. I'm like, I'm not going to endorse a product until I use it. <laughs> and then I like it too. Period. Yeah. You know, because if, if, if any of my listeners were to find out like, Oh dude, Greg, Greg, Greg has this product on his podcast and he hasn't even used it yet. Like what, you know what I mean? Like your words hold a lot of power to them. And and if you're going to do something like a podcast, you need to ensure that you're operating under integrity and your moral code because people resonate with that. And then you actually develop relationships with your listeners. And I think it's important. And, uh, so I told him that I said, "Yeah, send me send me some stuff. I'll try it, and if I like it, then let's have a conversation about a partnership." And and dude, I'm telling you, I tell my listeners all the time. It was <laughs> almost immediate. Like, and maybe it's because I'm 41. We're at that age where like our hormones are starting to you know might have already atrophy, atrophy I,
1: dude. I'm 51, so mine have atrophy. Yeah. <laughs> I had to, mine had to get kickstarted back
4: oh, up. <laughs> and dude, I started using that stuff, and I started feeling better like literally almost immediately. And for me, there's, I mean, everybody we've been using supplements since remember, we we're getting cell tech at the PX oh, yeah. when we were 22. And like, <laughs> oh shit. I was still getting and a lot of
1: rip ultra rip fuel when it was still legal, taking that and yeah. wanting for PT. Holy shit.
4: Yeah. And, and there's a lot of supplements that noticing a change in your body. Cause it's so small. It's hard to know if it's placebo or if it's real, but I started taking this stuff and I said, straight up it, If this is placebo, then I'm a my my mind is extremely fucking powerful. (laughs) I'm going to keep you that alone, you know. But but the proof for me is more than my own experience. I get hit up by listeners all the time that are like, "Dude, I tried BioPro, and uh, I feel 25 again." And I would say, like, I think that that's probably a good demographic is guys our age that used to be extremely good athletes.
0: And now, like, and by the way, that's our demo too, because you see, you probably know. Like, I look on Spotify, our breakdown, like our listeners are guys in their thirties, forties, fifties. That's our yeah. and guys, particularly, like an eighty something percent guys.
4: No, and like you know, I look at my my athletic capability, and obviously, you're not going to be at the at your very best at 41. But I don't feel like I feel like I'm I'm still in the mix right now, and it's like. I still train jujitsu nightly. I still push hard. The gym I own is CrossFit and jujitsu. And I feel healthy again. And I feel like my body has good composition and, and it functions well. And I was dealing with a lot of injuries for a long time. And it, I'm sure it's a combination of things. But I think that the BioPro definitely played a role into like just feeling oh, like yeah. a better version of myself.
1: And it's it took yeah. it took me a couple of weeks before I started to feel it. But I said, I'm 51. And I got out there on the trampoline. I've been taking it now for about a month and a half. And, and, and dude, I ran eight miles in San Francisco when I went and spoke a couple weeks ago. I ran down to Hyde Street. Hyde is the that long, ran up that sucker. And then I ran down and back up Lombard, Then ran back down again. This was just two weeks ago. I actually wasn't even that long ago. It was seven days ago. I was, I was in and like, holy shit, I just ran eight miles. And I ran hills in San Francisco after getting up at seven in the morning. And I came came home the next day and was jumping on the trampoline doing flips yeah, you know, I, it's, it's, it, it is, it's like, holy shit. I'm, I'm now, I, and I'm a runner. That's what I like to do. I was one of those Rangers that could run. I could just run, dude. I fuck it. Just one of those. Oh, hated, I know hated, you guys hate, guys, guys like hate it. Dude. It's like, just, fuck it. Let's go run. I can do this five miles. So let's, Man, but I
4: had a, when, I, when I got there as a private, my squad leader was one of you. Who, 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 was, your, who, <laughs>
1: who was your squad leader?
4: Sergeant Bartlett. Bart- you remember yeah, him yeah. by chance? Oh yeah. He was uh, a, <laughs> he was an import from the, from i think the 82nd i forget where he came from I, but he didn't grow up in regiment no, he's, and as an e6 yep like coming in as an e6 that's a that's tough man yeah it, that is tough as an import
1: you're, and, you're looked uh, at the privates are like fuck okay you got your tab but you didn't grow up here what the fuck
4: dude i don't yeah. so i gotta tell you i mean you got a bounce or do i got a no no
1: no go ahead go ahead he, he just rang the doorbell go ahead go ahead go ahead my, wife, okay. my wife's got go ahead um
4: it was a good leadership question or leadership experience because we were privates under him and I had Sergeant Lynch and Sergeant Arredondo You're as done. team leaders. Wow. Both studs. Yeah. Wow. Those guys were fucking great team leaders. And, uh, I thought that the three of them were best friends, you know, like they seemed to get along perfectly. And we never even had a hint that, there was any type of turmoil amongst the, the, the leadership within the squad. And then Sergeant Bartlett PCS to uh, Vincenza. Yeah. Yeah. He put his packet in and went to Italy. Cause that he wanted a different experience out of the army. He wanted to travel all over and experience a bunch of different stuff. But as a Ranger, that's the opposite. Yeah. Regiment is everything, yeah. you know, you're, there. you're stuck. And as soon as he left, we had like a, we had a team meeting um, Sergeant Rittman, Took over the squad, so Dave Ritman, mm-hmm. who was homegrown in mm-hmm. regiment, and uh man, they're like, "Thank God Bartlett's fucking gone." And we're like, "What are you talking about?" And they're like, "We fucking hated him." <laughs> what? Because I mean, this was like a year that we were all together, you know. And I was like, Sergeant, like, are you serious? And he goes, "Oh yeah, like we oh, were. Yeah. We would never let the privates." even have a hint to of understanding that there was turmoil between the team leader and the squad leader so we hid that shit from you but now that he's gone and our squad leader is homegrown here in regiment you're gonna see what a god squad looks like because like by that time (laughs) most of us were tabbed yeah wow it was like wow that's dude the vibe changed too it was like Oh, we're all friends now. You know what I mean? Instead of like these different tiers within the squad. But it was just interesting. Like, I mean, that's leadership 101. Like, don't, as a leader, you don't need to project your drama or your bullshit on any of the men underneath you. You just
1: cause, cause it, because so, it just causes yeah. more drama and dissension and it causes a, a, a team to be a poor team, a breakdown in everything, not just leadership, just to break down in just normal everyday yeah. mechanics. It's, it's terrible.
4: That's, that's, no. And so, but what I always thought we always thought our squad was like varsity, you know, cause like we had a bunch of good fit dudes. Everybody was motivated. We had a lot of fun together. And then looking back on it, it's like, no, there were some major issues, but they did what they did, what they should have done and kept them within house within amongst themselves. I always admired I think, that so. from
1: battalion too. And that's where I learned when we went, you thought there was drama and contracting world, when you got to in this, in the state department side of the house, when you got to the agency side, it was even, even worse for the most part. And there were guys, I tell guys, hey, Oz and I didn't like each other at all. But learning from Battalion that we still got to work together. We still got to hold yeah. our trauma in. Don't push it out. We got enough problem with the CIA people. We don't need to let them have show us that we're like not – we have a weaker links so that they can pick at us, that there's an injury that they can just kind of manipulate and make us even more more divided, which they like to do, which was sh- shocking because we yeah. are their security. But I learned that right. from Battalion too It was – all right, we're not like each other. The mission is this, we can get along. Let's respect each other while we're here. Stay away from each other. We don't need to hang out. All right, but let's and let's go 110%. You know, 100% and then some. And and it worked. I always tell when I do my speaking events I say that. I say, "Hey, you, there's this misnomer that everybody in the special operations community gets along." I said, "Fuck, that is I don't say fuck, but I said that's completely that is, completely, <laughs> that is yeah. completely wrong." I mean, you do have teams that are like that, but I said they're You can't put a bunch of alpha males together and they're all going to get along. It just doesn't work like that. But what you can do is you can respect each other and you put the mission first and you put the job first and you still get things done, but know that you may not get along with everybody on your team. That doesn't mean you can't have a successful team. And I learned that from range battalion. I I really did.
0: I I I just want to point out, by the way, that this, this always happens to (laughs) me. Chris will be like, look, I got a heart out at 11.30. I, I got to be out at that he's time. Here. Make sure we're done. I'm not the one. I know. He's, he's, so if Pena's, he's listening, I've here. been trying here. to end this interview. He's here. I got, I got, and, I but Chris is enjoying it too much. I mean, we could, we could clearly go another hour here. There was a lot to discuss, and we definitely will do a part two. Um, if if you guys want to check out BioPro, yeah, by the way, uh, definitely works. check them out. Bioproteintech.com. Promo code BattleLine at checkout. And, of course, we got to promote what Greg is doing at granderson 33 on Instagram and the podcast endless endeavor is up on all podcast platforms. You guys got to check it out. I mean, it's, it's incredible and it's getting great reviews and, and for as long as it's been going on, which is shorter than us, it really has just expanded pretty pretty quickly.
4: And I I always tell people when I talk about going into the podcasting world, it was Andy stump. He had me on cleared hot and, uh, you know, yeah, he's a seal and I'm a ranger, but we vibed, and we're both jujitsu guys, right? And so he picked me up at the airport in Kalispell, We drove to the studio and re- we started recording within ten minutes of being together. And so it's like it almost felt like sitting down with an old friend, just because of these paths that we walked and mutual people that we know. And it like it made for a very powerful podcast. Because I got to sit down with him for three hours as opposed to the Laura Ingram approach, right? And so I got tons of good feedback and people were like, that interview was awesome. You should think about doing your own. And I remember that was like, "Ah, that feels kind of weird, but I got enough positive feedback. I said, let's try it. Let's see how this goes. And I know we're trying to wrap this up, but I'll say this real quick. (laughs) The most rewarding thing about podcasting for me is I don't care how many downloads I get. I've got to interact with a lot of very interesting human beings all over the world, share people's experiences. And I get emails all day that are like, hey, you know, you talked about this guy and and his diet and I tried it and it changed my life. And I'm down this much weight and me and my wife are getting along better. And it just made me realize like your words have power And us sitting down and doing these things together. Like, yeah, it's three dudes hanging out, telling some stories. But this might impact somebody somewhere that we have no idea who or when, and it might change the trajectory of their life for the better. And that's why these things are so fun. And that's why I prioritize always trying to get on shows whenever I get invited, because like, we have the power to actually impact the planet with words. So I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, on.
1: bro, you're, you're I won't get you on again, bro. I'm, I'm sorry about only going Well, I normally only schedule for an hour, but I when I have fun, Ian's right. We keep and I'm having a blast, but fuck, I, I gotta I gotta go do the daddy, uh, husband thing outside.
0: Yeah, this was this was probably one of my favorite shows because people love the Ranger stories and the training story, and like you had some really in depth stories. People are gonna love. Um, I met Andy Stump really briefly at Shot Show. Um, the funny thing with him, I'll just tell you real quick. people know if they listen to the Shot Show episode, was you know I had my iPhone on me. It was a quick thing, and I just said, "Hey, I'm here with Navy SEAL Andy Stump." And I, I know Andy Stump like very you know vaguely I'm not like a, a regular listener and the first thing he says he's like I'm not a Navy SEAL and in my head I'm like fuck did I get this guy's biography wrong and he, and he's like very he, he's very uh like particular about this he was like "I'm," he's like I'm a former Navy SEAL like there's a big yeah. difference like I don't want to and I don't know just I've interviewed you know I feel like a million Navy SEALs no one has ever been like don't call me a Navy SEAL <laughs> I'm a former Navy but that was like a big thing with him but I'd love to get him on at some point. Yeah, so, Andy, yeah,
4: he seems like a guy. Andy wants to his identity to be what he's doing right now. And I think that I think for veterans, that's one of the most important yeah. things that you can tell yourself is like don't reflect back on your glory days or what you did in combat is what defines you as a man. That was an experience, it helped grow you who you are, but man, you got to look at the road ahead of you. And and dude the best is yet to come. And if you don't tell yourself that, that's when I think a lot of veterans start to spiral and, and tell themselves the sad story. And that's a dangerous thing to do to yourself.
1: I agree. I, I know, and the best is going to be yet to come here in a little bit or the worst when my wife doesn't see me outside with the contractor. <laughs> 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 I'm going to get my, All right, I'm get my head. We'll hey, Greg, you, you're, this was you're always welcome, man. You're you're awesome, dude. man. I, again, it's always there. I, you, you, you got through it a lot better than I did. But um, I, I admire the hell out of you because a lot of guys didn't do that. Didn't then they use their job? And I fucking hate that. Uh-huh. And I, I admire I the hell, hell that, that you did that day. That was awesome. So great job, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never yeah. quit. Yeah.